Welcome to the Israel Bible Podcast with me, your host, Cindy Parker. I am an author, speaker, and professor of Holy Land Studies at the Israel Bible Center. I am passionate about reading the Bible in the physical, historical, and cultural context of its day, and I love having geeky conversations with people about new things. In this podcast, I'd like to invite you to join me as I sit down each week with other faculty members of IBC to discover new aspects of the Bible. These are some of my favorite dialogues because as a modern audience reading an ancient text, we know that the Bible does not need to be rewritten, but it needs to be reread. This week, I continue a conversation with Dr. Nicholas Shazer, the professor of Hebrew Bible at Israel Bible Center. We are talking about his course, The Hebrew Psalms, How to Worship God. Now, last week, we started the conversation talking about what Hebrew poetry is. Remember the parallelisms? And we discussed if the Psalms are similar or different to the prophetic writings. And Dr. Shazer explained that... The difference between the prophets and the Psalms, though, is that the prophets have God speaking through the prophet to the people, Mm. whereas the Psalms are instances of the people speaking to God. So it's just a kind of a, it's a dialogical shift in, in that way. We also talked about the rich imagery of the Psalms, and I was so proud of myself for resisting the temptation to keep running down that trail, because understanding what the correct imagery is that is referred to in the Psalms has a direct impact on how you form your theology. But I digress. I also asked Dr. Shazer about the Psalms that retell stories we have from the Torah, like the creation narratives or stories of the Exodus. What are these Psalms trying to do? That's, a, that's another feature of the Psalms and a good, a good reason to read them. Apart from just your yes. own edification and, and, and putting yourself in the, in the place of, of someone who's praying, that's, that's all great. It's all to the good. But there are other reasons to do it, too, because the Psalms actually interact with other biblical narrative. Hmm. So I'll give you an example. The uh, Psalm 78 is a retelling of the plagues against the Egyptians during the Exodus narrative. Now, if you were to compare the, the narrative in Exodus itself and the narrative, really, the poetic narrative in Psalm 78, you would see some differences. For example, the plagues are not in the same order, for, for instance. Mm. And the reason for that is, again, it, it's what I would want to call poetic license. I'm sure that we've all heard of that, is that in poetry, again, I, I mentioned elasticity. In poetry, you're allowed to shift things around, reorganize things, not to try to dispel or disturb the, the Exodus narrative, to be sure, no ancient Israelite would want to do that, but rather to represent the material in a new form. And that new form is poetry as opposed to narrative. So that tells us that there are actual aesthetic reasons why the poet of Psalm 78 would have decided to put this here rather than here, or there rather than there. That is, they're aesthetic yeah. poetic decisions. And also they, you know, they bear on different theological presentations as well. So you mentioned the creation story of Genesis. Oftentimes the Psalms are going to recall God's power 
in the creation in Genesis 1. It's not going to be in the same order or look the same as in Genesis 1. But what the psalmist wants to do theologically is say, Lord, look, just as you separated waters from waters and told the seas to go here and the dry land to go here, so too can you enact that kind of power in my own life as Hmm. the psalmist. Hmm. So that is, the psalms are a good indication of how ancient Israelites took the narratives of the Torah and, and, and place them into their own lives. And they, they said, okay, this is my template for how God works. Hmm. And indeed, this is what believers do today in reading these ancient texts and trying to find a way to fit it into hmm. their modern hmm. context. That's an extremely valid move. And it's a move that goes all the way back to the Psalms. So in that case, it's really beautiful because the Psalms are helping us actually embody in our emotions and in ourselves what the Torah is teaching the people. It's kind of a personal response and a community response yeah. to what yeah. God has said. That's, um, that's a beautiful way to yeah. put it. Yeah. And, and actually the Psalms themselves are broken up into, into five major sections which some scholars believe actually reflects the five books of Moses, Genesis to Deuteronomy. And in fact, I'll just say one quick thing. This is is kind of fun and interesting. In Jewish tradition, the, the the Old Testament, what Christians call the Old Testament or what academics call the Hebrew Bible, in, in Judaism is called the Tanakh. Tanakh yeah. is an acronym for TNK. It stands for Torah, the first five books of the Bible. Nevi'im, which means prophet, so the prophetic material. And in Jewish tradition, that starts in the book of Joshua, interestingly. Right. And then everything that isn't the Nevi'im or the Torah or the Nevi'im, the Torah or the prophets, is the Kituvim, which is writings. So that's how we get Tanakh or Tanakh, yeah. because at the end of a Hebrew word, you have to do a little popcorn sound uh, when you're dealing with a K. <laughs> so anyway, Tanakh, right? And interestingly, so we've got the Torah, and then we've got the beginning of the, of the prophets. That's the beginning of Joshua. And then the beginning of the Psalms, of course, is Psalm chapter 1. And in Psalm chapter 1, it is actually uh, the psalmist extolling the virtues of God's Torah. That is, the righteous person doesn't hang out with evil people, but rather dwells and not only so, meditates on the Torah day and night. That's the terminology in in Psalm Mm -hmm. 1. What's really interesting in in that introduction to the Psalms, and the Psalms, that they start out the Ketuvim, the writing section. Well, if you go back to the beginning of the Nevi'im, the prophet section, it's the same terminology that we find in Joshua chapter 1. So in Joshua chapter 1, verse 8, God says to the people, Lo which means this book of the Torah shall not depart from your lips. Rather, you shall meditate on it day and night. And that's the exact mm. same phraseology that we get in Psalm chapter one. So the, the final editors and redactors of the, of the Hebrew Bible of the Tanakh set up the beginning of the prophets as a reflection mm. of, the, of the greatness of the Torah and the beginning of the Psalms, that is the beginning of the writings, mm repeats the beginning of the prophets in order to also extol the Torah. I love that. It helps to remind us of how all of these texts are actually connected and how the Torah is the foundation for all things. And sometimes we forget that because as we're flipping through a book, as it's put together now, and we're, you know, in the middle of the book, which is the book of Psalms usually, and we have, like, we read it disconnected from everything around it. But the original like composition or the Hebrew composition of it would suggest it is meant to be read yes. as a continuous story, as a, as a, a, a book that is Absolutely. purposefully put together. 
Absolutely. Yeah. And what's even more daunting, actually, is it seems that it, it, this organization points to the fact that you're actually being expected to read the whole thing. Right. <laughs> that is right. to start from Genesis one and end up at the end of the writings because it all flows together. Um, so, you know, we've got busy right. modern lives, to be sure. But, um, but it, it does show the extent to which ancient Jewish uh, yeah. readers of this material were imbibing all of this and letting it yes. all soak into them yeah. uh, and were able to make references back and forward. So I, maybe it's an ideal that we can all hope to attain one day. In his course on the Psalms, Dr. Shazer has a lot more time to explain the multiple functions of the Psalms, like praise, lament, coronation, songs of ascent, which are my favorite to read when you're physically standing in the city of Jerusalem. But I chose one of these to talk about here because it fits what we are all going through during this global pandemic. So you you mentioned the the functionality of the Psalms in the life of the individual and yeah. the life of the community. And we've talked about a few ways that that is true. I will say for me personally, with this being 2020 and with a worldwide pandemic going on and protests that are affecting lots of our different nations around the world, um, mm. I have found the laments to be extremely valuable. Can we just talk a little bit about what the function of the laments are? Yeah, and absolutely. Is it just this terrible outpouring of ugly feelings or is there is there a function there that's different? Yeah, great question. So the Psalms of Lament, there are several different genres of Psalms that scholars have assigned. Now, the Psalms themselves don't say Stop before you get going on this psalm. This is a psalm of lament. Right, right. you're going to be really sad reading this yeah, one. That's right. Yeah, yeah. Get get in a bad mood because it's coming. Right, but don't worry. The following psalm is a happy Thanksgiving psalm. Yeah, so it doesn't do that. Scholars need to kind of piece it together based on the material that that's mm. in the texts. Right, and so there are things called Thanksgiving psalms. How do you know it's a Thanksgiving psalm? Because it usually starts out with "Thank you, God." That's right. Thanksgiving. Right. How do we know something is a lament psalm? It usually starts out with, I'm in a bad way. How long is this going to last, God? <laughs> right. So, so that's how we, we you know, make those sort of genre distinctions. Yeah, on the, on the one hand, they're superficial, but on the other hand, they do speak to something that's real in the text. And, and one of the main genres that we see is the lament. And laments can either be communal. There are communal laments like, uh, Lord, the entire nation is in trouble. Help us out, please. Mm -hmm. And then there's also individual lament songs, which Cindy, as you said, like can be so helpful for you know people's own personal spiritual stasis in in times of of, yeah. of uncertainty like that we're living through today. I think one good example is uh, Psalm chapter five, hmm. and uh, it's an individual lament psalm, and it's going to give you a good example right off the bat of what I'm talking about. So. It begins by saying, give ear to my words, O Lord, consider my groaning. So there's our parallelism again. The, the psalmist calling on God, listen to my words. And then statement B is consider my groaning. So what kind of words are the psalmist saying? They're not happy words. They're sad words. And, and the parallelism helps us to ascertain that. It's going to go on. Give attention to the sound of my cry, my King and my God, for to you do I pray. And then there's a really beautiful verse here, verse three. Oh, Lord, in the morning you hear my voice. In the morning I prepare a sacrifice for you and watch. 
I think that that's important. So in the morning, and by the way, in the Hebrew, I can look at the Hebrew, but I'm pretty sure it doesn't have the word sacrifice in it. I think it just says that I'm going to order my life towards you. So it says, um, to you I pray, Hashem boker tishma koli. Uh, in the morning, Lord, you hear my voice. And then it says, boker erach lecha. That is, in, in the morning, I'll prepare for you, essentially. I'll, I'll, I'll order my day for you. And then it says, and then I'll keep watch. This is really interesting. So huh. we've got this psalmist who's lamenting. There's some problem. Mm. Give ear to my groaning, Lord. I, I, I'm in despair. But in the very next breath, the psalmist is confident and faithful that in the morning, ostensibly, that this person's going to go to the temple and, mm. and watch for God. And that, that's not a euphemism. That's going to the temple. The, the, the hope is, the trust is that God will arrive in God's temple hmm. because God's temple is where God lives, literally, in, in Israelite thought. So that is what we've got here is, yes, I'm, I'm troubled. I'm perhaps frightened. I'm going through a rough time. But notice the closeness with which the psalmist knows that God right, is going to appear. This is not yeah. a distant deity at all. So what does that tell mm. us like in our modern context? It tells us that we can go through hardship and difficulty and uncertainty like we're going yeah. through right now, but it doesn't mean that God is far away. And we can even be asking about God, where are you, right? Or how long do right. I have to wait here? You know, tick, tick, tock. But underlying that question is the foundational belief and the psalmist in Psalm 5 reflects this, which is, oh, I'm going I'm to sit and watch because I know that you're coming. The expectation that God is going to show up. That's right. Those laments, like you were saying, there's something about it identifying the emotion and allowing the person to express the emotion. And I find that to be really interesting because some of us, depending on where we live and what communities we're in, when we think of our spiritual lives, it's void of emotion and mm. is all like what we think about God and how we've kind of analyzed God. But the yeah. Hebrew Hebrew language in general is very visceral. And I find yes. the poetry to be so embodied in the full humanness of people. And so even just like the laments, I'd, I'd love to touch on the imprecatory Psalms. Oh boy. For example, Psalm 137, which starts out by Babylon streams, there we sat. Oh, we wept. And so you, you're immediately placed in people who have been uprooted from their land and they're in a foreign place and yeah. they're, they're being mocked by the people who are around them. And, right. and we get down towards the end and it says, recall, O Lord, the Edomites on the day of Jerusalem saying, raise it, raise it to its foundation. Daughter of Babylon, the despoiler, happy who pays you back in kind for what you did to us. Happy who seizes and smashes your infants against the rock. Period. End of the psalm. Yeah. Why do we have this in our collection of texts? Yeah, it, you know, it's one of the most intense pieces of not only the psalms, but of the entire Bible. Why do we have it in there? This is a testament to, to actual human emotion. Right. Uh, the beginning of the psalm, Cindy, as you, as you noted, is, you know, we sat by the streams of Babylon and wept. What does that mean? Mm -hmm. it, it means that this psalm is what's called a post-exilic psalm. 
that is, it couldn't have been written by David. It has to have been written mm-hmm. much, much later than that, when the Babylonians exiled the people of Judah from their homeland in 586 BC. So they're sitting there in exile. And what they've gone through is a horrible, violent destruction of their, of their land, untold amounts of violence against their people. And one of the aspects of that violence that we see, notice that the psalmist says, um, repay them in kind for what they did to us. Mm-hmm. And then says, dash their infants against the rocks. So what we can tell from that text is that that's what some Babylonians did to some Judites, took their babies and dashed them against the rocks. And of course, we can get, we get all sorts of, of, of horrendous you know, narrative about what happens when the Babylonians actually do come. Going back to Deuteronomy, I mean, Deuteronomy foreshadows this and says this will happen if, mm-hmm. uh, if you don't follow the Torah. And, and in Deuteronomy 28, there's all sorts of horrendous descriptions of that. And, and this psalm is just a, a very real, a very visceral, very, you know, as it were, you know, down and dirty expression of what actual people actually went mm-hmm. through and a feeling of, of wanting revenge for that, of, of wanting mm-hmm. to respond. So, yeah, I mean, it's, I guess, what, what does this show us? It shows us that the, uh, that the biblical authors and the biblical texts, and the Psalms is, is no exception to this, the biblical text isn't sanitized from the vicissitudes mm. of history. That is the, the point of the, the text doesn't live in a vacuum. You're not in some ivory tower up there where the only point of the Bible is to right. get on your knees and just say how great God is. That, that's a major part of it. But the text intermixed with, with problems and, and violence in, in our world. And I, for one, as difficult as that psalm is, is to read, I'm actually pleased that there are those kinds of things mm-hmm. in the biblical text because it, it offers expression for the kinds of emotions that we have today that all human beings have had throughout time. It, it makes it more relatable. Not to say that most readers would want to dash yeah. infants against rocks. Of course not. It, it's just to say these people who wrote this, again, didn't write in a vacuum. And you know what's interesting, and this kind of gets us into certain other kinds of psalms that, where the psalmist is, is addressing God in this kind of rough way, and that is that the psalms are not afraid to talk to God like you would talk to your best friend or you would talk yeah. to your confidant or your father or your mother, the, the person that you trust the most. Sometimes in, our, in lower moments, right, we, we blurt out things to people that we trust, you know, hmm. and sometimes those things don't sound great, but it shows the relationality, the kind of relationship that the psalmist believed that they had with God. And that's the kind of close relationship that I think anyone should want or, or could want. And so again, what this does, these kinds of psalms, as difficult as they are, I really think that they close the gap between heaven and earth, as it were. They close hmm. the gap between hmm. human experience and what God is up to in the heavens. There's no such thing as a distant deity in the Psalms. Sure, to be sure, elsewhere in the Hebrew Bible, nowhere in the Hebrew Bible do we have a distant deity, but the Psalms bring God extremely close. And so I think that there are some, uh, some good reasons to retain Psalms like that, even though some, some are yeah, tough to read. Absolutely. I love that. And it's just, again, the full expression of the human experience, and it, it can help teach people what do you do with all those emotions, whether you're lamenting or whether you're angry. 
yep. the expectation is that God is there listening. And that's Definitely. a very powerful thing that we can get from the Psalms, which is amazing. That's right. And, and I think an important thing also to note, sometimes people think as they approach the text, right? Okay, so this is, this is my Bible, as it were, to use, to use a, a modern contemporary phrase, my Bible. I read my Bible today. Right. Um, okay, right. That's your copy of the Bible. The Bible is the Israelites' Bible. The people of Israel wrote the scriptures of Israel. So on the one hand, it's theirs. And so why is that important? You know, to use a phrase that the great scholar John Walton says, is that the Bible was written for us, we moderns, but it wasn't written to us. Mm-hmm. I think that's a really important thing to remember. And how is that helpful in, in approaching something like an imprecatory psalm? Mm-hmm. Well, there's something, there's a difference between descriptive writing in the Bible and prescriptive writing. That is, sometimes Bible readers approach the text and they say, everything in here I should do. Hmm. That is, God must be speaking to me and telling me that every line that I read is something that's beneficial for me to enact. That's just not true. Hmm. There are some materials like the commandments, for example, or the material that we read in Paul live by the fruits of the Spirit and walk by the Spirit, that's, that is prescriptive. Paul is prescribing something for the reader to do. This psalm, this imprecatory psalm, isn't saying everyone should enact violence. Right. It's describing a real historical moment. So again, the dis- difference between descriptive and prescriptive writing, I think, is a very important difference that um, it's up to the Bible reader to carefully um, separate. Hmm. Make sure you subscribe to this podcast because next week we get into details of how the first century Jewish communities used the Psalms in their communities. And we specifically address what Jesus likely intended people to hear when he quoted the first line of Psalm 22. Jesus knows that God is going to vindicate him here. And so it's less about Jesus feeling forsaken in like an literalistic way. Jesus is a human being though. So, I mean, if I'm on a cross, mm-hmm. I'm feeling pretty forsaken myself. Right. So, so not to completely shelf that, but the point is to say, I'm allowed to feel suffering and aloneness in this moment, but I know that God is gonna vindicate me. If you like what you hear in this podcast, you will love the content in Israel Bible Center's flagship certificate program on Jewish context and culture. You can register for that program or for Dr. Shazer's course on the Psalms using the link in the episode notes or by going to israelbiblecenter.com. As a thank you for listening to this podcast, use the coupon code Israel when you register and you'll receive a free surprise. Thank you to Jeremy McDonald with Mason Jar Music for mixing, editing, and crafting all the good sounds you hear. And thank you for being curious about the world of the Bible. I look forward to next week.